Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today I am extremely excited to be joined by Jonathan Lucky, Product Guru Scrum Master at DAZN, longtime pragmatic friend, uh, frequent podcaster, uh, and someone who I just had a great time catching up with. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Rebecca. It is good to see you again, always. It's been a pleasure all these years, for sure. Yes, we were we were making ourselves feel old ahead of time by reminding ourselves how long we've known each other. So um, <laughs> it's been a long but, time. We practically came up together. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, Jonathan, for those people who may not have uh, had the pleasure of listening to some of your other podcasts or reading some of the articles you've written from, can you give us a little bit about who Jonathan Lucky is and a little bit about your role at DAZONE? Yeah, yeah. So uh, once upon a time in the in the ancient times. Um, I think, uh, and in fact, I'll start from when I first came along to, uh, to the pragmatic world. Um, I was previously, I started off as a sales guy, enterprise sales guy um, with a company called Christian Steven Software, CSS for short. And, uh, you know, doing enterprise sales and what I found uh, that I was more interested in the product itself and how we build it than selling it to customers. <laughs> Though the sales part was fun enough. Um, and it was fun. It was it was the B two B world where we where they work with a variety of different customers, ranging from nuclear power plants to military contractors, hospitals, all kinds of stuff in the B two B world um, that did reporting and analytics. Um, I eventually kind of grew into more of a product role, uh, or a product stroke marketing role, um, working with them for a number of years, and it was. A lot of fun. Uh, did over, I think while I was there, worked on probably about seven different products ranging um, all mainly like server-based stuff, even a few iPhone or iOS apps into uh, as well. So it was a lot of fun. And then I kind of, we kind of did a whole agile transformation there. Lots of fun. And uh, we realized, and that was kind of, we had a bit of a come to Jesus moment um, where we realized, whoa, we can do things even better. And so taking what we learned with agility and what I learned from the pragmatic courses that I've taken, it really gave me a really cool perspective on how do you take a product um, in a very agile way from what I like to say brain to screen. So from what we discover in the market, what we discover in the customer, all the way to that customer screen. And it, it became really interested in that. And so I joined um, the zone later on, which back in those days was called Perform. The Zone is a sports media company um, where we have a streaming platform where we live stream a variety of different sports. So, for example, in the United States, we do boxing, um, whereas in Canada, we do NFL Game Pass. And uh, and I work in the playback area there, which is literally what you see on the TV screen when you're uh, watching the game and you're hitting play and pause and all that stuff. I work with the engineering teams that do that stuff as an agile coach with them. So I coach both the engineering teams, the product owners and various people throughout the business, um, not just on things like Scrum and Kanban and stuff, but the whole the whole ecosystem of, of building a product um, end to end. So that's what I do. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So there's lots of things to talk about here, but one of the things I think that you talked about the, the brain to screen and taking what you learn from the market and making it into reality I think yeah. one of the the roles that's so important is 
is how do we as product people bring that information to the engineer team in a way that's like digestible and usable, right? Not like here's 50 pages if you, or here's all the recordings of my calls, please watch them. Um, And I think that's one area that you've done a lot of work in and that's also evolved over time, something we're getting better. So I would love to talk a little bit about, you know, from, from the product teams and knowing the market problems and what we need to solve. How do you bring that information and context to your development and engineering crew effectively? Yeah, so I'm a a firm believer in we need to put the people who do the work, the people who build the product, as close to the people who use the product as possible, you know. And in B2C, that's always a lot easier because you know your specific customers, you might only have one client. And I mean, excuse me, in B2B, excuse me, it's a lot easier because you usually have a few clients or you know such your clients are. Um, it's a lot more difficult in B2C because obviously if you bring stuff directly to a client, to a one customer, how do you know that's gonna work for 10 million customers if you've got 10 million? So that's a presents a unique and interesting challenge. So one of the things from a B2B perspective I'm a huge fan of is literally like your sprint reviews for example, if you're doing Scrum, bring the customer to your sprint review and get them to use what you've built because that's the point of a review, working tested product, right? That you get them to use it and so that the engineers can see it firsthand what the feedback is. There's no filter to it. But I love that too. It's like yeah, it's so yeah. it's so simple and it's so like it's like built into the process, but too often what we use our own our own internal research people as a representative of it, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes you absolutely have mm-hmm. to do that. It totally makes sense. But representation becomes then the only answer and you don't go yeah. back to, right? Like the, the product owner said it worked like this. And like, sometimes we need that speed, but the more you can, to your point, get it in front of the customer and getting in the test. Oh, yes. Don't forget it, that point, people. It's <laughs> so powerful when, and in fact, in B2C, you can do the same thing. Just work with your UX or your CX people to bring a customer into the room or a group of customers. And, and we do this at the zone is do focus groups as well around that. But it's powerful. Uh, and you want your engineers there in the room when you're doing it, because there's things that your engineers are going to see that the product manager, the, the UX people, the marketing people or whatever, they're not going to notice, you know, and it's simple things, you know, I've noticed I've seen, we've done these where the engineers are like, oh, that's broken. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, we need to change that. Or, oh, our model that we thought was going to work wasn't, isn't working. And, you know, all the other people on the quote unquote business side would have never spotted those things. Mm-hmm. Years will. And that shortening of the feedback loop means that you can react to customer needs faster um, as opposed to discovering those things at the end. So yeah, it's super valuable. Just bring the engineers and let them see the customer using that product that they just built. It's such a simple thing, like you said, that we don't do enough of. (laughs) No, no. And we forget like, you know, it's not that they don't believe us because like they think we're dumb or we're Mm -hmm. lying to them or Mm -hmm. they're just stubborn, but there is just a difference when you see it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and also so often language gets in the way ours versus Mm -hmm. there. And so there's a communication piece, but when you're Mm -hmm. seeing it and you're seeing someone go through it, all of that disappears and you can just focus on them Mm -hmm. on sort of the experience there. There's actually a really good term for that um, coined from Toyota and lean and studies of lean called uh, Genshi Genbensu which means uh, go and see or come and see, Mm -hmm. um, where you come to the Gimba 
with it, and in that case is the place of work, which is more of like a management, a, a kind of a management technique of being there at the place of work. But I believe that that also applies to the customer, right? You know, that go and see, because when the engineers, like you said, see, they have a certain empathy with the customer that they wouldn't normally have. Yep. And charts and graphs and data analysis and all those things are important and we need to be data-driven, but you still need that qualitative aspect to generate empathy and emotional connection to what people are doing. Well, and I think, uh, you know, also, not only do you get to see it and you get empathy, but people are not necessarily very good recorders of their own behavior, True. right? Like, Absolutely. again, no one's meeting the fib to you, but you just, you miss mm -hmm. steps or you think, oh, that step's not important, so I'm not going to talk to engineer. And meanwhile, somebody who's seeing it is like, oh, man, I could have helped them skip that altogether, right? When mm -hmm. you talk about it, like, when do they pick up a pencil? When do they go somewhere else? Mm -hmm. All of those things, mm -hmm. people just don't think to report if you ask them how they did that process. Um, mm -hmm. So it's powerful. Mm -hmm. Very, very powerful. And so I think that feedback leap is huge, but I also know one of the things you and I have talked about is sort of even prior to the feedback, when we're setting mm -hmm. up the, the job story and the personas, mm -hmm. such a key part yes. uh, in bringing yeah. our engineering team along. So talk a little bit yes. about the, kind of your best practices in those areas um, and maybe even yeah. how they've evolved. Yeah, so I think years back when I wrote the personas article, you know, that was when like the idea of the persona was kind of a thing. And I think back then I was the, the main thing I was trying to say was don't let a persona just be a market description document. You know, here's here's a bunch of statistics about the market. Actually, let it be a story about who the user is, because that's how you engage people. And so how that's kind of evolved and, and what we found, what I've noticed now, there's been a lot of writings that have been done since. I think one of the popular things right now is the idea of jobs to be done and which uh, is a really, which is not so much a specific template, but like a series of exercises you do in order to help create a shared understanding of who it is, who the customer is, and what are the things they need to achieve. What we tend to do is the product team goes off, or maybe the CX team or the UX team goes off and they do those jobs to be done, and they leave the engineers out of it. And then now what you have to do is then try to explain it all to the engineers where actually, again, that same exercise of fashioning your personas, fashioning your jobs to be done um, needs to, to be, the engineers need to be there um, as a part of that creation process because then they are automatically absorbing and understanding the customer as you go. Jobs to be done is actually quite interesting because where it used to be with the idea of a user story, it was, as a user, I need to blank so I can blank. And what you what I found is that most people end up not really defining what the user is. And I've always advocated for sticking the persona in there instead of saying as a user, say as Jane the analyst, as Rob the 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 sports fan or whatever, you know. But in practice, a lot of product managers end up leaving that out for the sake of the expedience of just putting as a user in especially if you're building maybe an internal tool or an internal thing that's not necessarily user-facing. So what you see now is this move towards jobs to be done, where it's, you know, it's the format is more of when blank, I want to blank so I can blank, which is great. You know, you have your trigger, you have, you know, what you're trying to achieve and you have the value you're getting out of it. 
but you still have to do the jobs to be done exercise to understand what is the customer need, what is the customer and what is it that they're trying to achieve and do. So that's what I'm kind of noticing is kind of the trend nowadays is that kind of setup. But you still have to do the work of making sure the engineers are present. You still have to do the work to go out of the market and understand what it is that they're still doing. So you still need to do Nahito visits mm -hmm. and all those things as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that every once in a while we get asked, you know, sort of jobs to be done versus market problems. I'm like, yep, they're mm -hmm. yes, yes, mm -hmm. they are. They are the things that we want to mm -hmm. solve. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think that lots of people struggle with is trying to to bring out the information, the engineers team with brevity, right? So we're not mm -hmm. doing like, here's a novel. Um, but in that brevity, it's the nuances that that are lost, right? Mm -hmm. When we when we mm -hmm. boil down 20 Nahito visits into five bullets, or even into mm -hmm. a couple of paragraphs on a persona, you miss that context, uh, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why I love getting the engineers to see it, mm -hmm. uh, to, to see those. But sometimes like there is a scaling issue, right? Like they, they do have to do their, their engineering yeah. role. Uh, so how else have you helped kind of find that balance between here's like the down and dirty they need so that I'm not overwhelming them, but mm -hmm. in it is not lost the the character of of really what we're going after? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I, I advocate for, but don't always achieve is you make sure that when you're having a conversations, say in you know, in your plannings, your refinements or whatever, that you're talking about the customer as a person. So um, one of the coolest moments I ever had with one of uh, my teams, I can't remember, was it um, the NBA team or was it a different team when they were like, oh, Jane, Jane wouldn't do that. And that was powerful. I was like, oh, really? Oh, that's, oh, that's nice. You know, and it was a great challenge because the engineer was able to say, well, you want us to build this. But according to what the persona is and what the persona says, that sounds incongruent. Are we risking to build a product that's incoherent with what the, the market wants, you know? And that was very powerful because that meant that the business acumen of the engineers has risen. And I think a lot of times in most companies, we like to relegate engineers off to just do technical stuff where actually everyone in that team needs to have a level of business acumen. The product manager or product owner is, the, the the leader of that or has the expertise in that, but every but their their role is about taking that business acumen and getting it into the engineers however they can. So that's one way of just getting the engineers to have a conversation about it. Well, I think and, what's and, neat um, about that story too is that obviously you both it, it's clear from that that the engineers felt empowered, right? Empowered mm -hmm. to both understand but also accountable to understand and empowered mm -hmm. to challenge it, right? Yeah. Yes. It wasn't like you you were coming in as the one and only authority on the persona, mm -hmm. right? You've you've worked hard to build up their knowledge and understanding so that mm -hmm. it is a jointly owned persona. Yeah, uh, and I think that that's a really powerful switch uh, versus all, you know, coming in like I own this persona and here it is, mm -hmm. right? Like getting them mm -hmm. to really feel joint accountability and in, in understanding that so that they're empowered to push back or to ask yeah. questions or to have net new ideas that are like, yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And that's how you, because when you create the right environment and you've educated the engineers, then now, like you said, that opens up things that the product manager probably wouldn't have thought of on their own. 
you know, because a group tends to come up with more interesting things than a single person off by themselves. And in fact, another um, really what a really cool technique that this unlocks is the idea of doing lean sprints. So we started doing this at um, The Zone with a lot of really cool success. It's a whole, we could do a whole podcast talk about the idea of doing lean sprints if you want. Basically- Can you give that listeners just like, like a brief overview of what you mean when you yeah. say lean sprints? Perfect. So a lean sprint is uh, basically an amalgamation of a couple of different techniques that everyone might have seen. So the idea of design sprints, which comes from a book called Sprint by Jake Knapp, um, the idea of um, of crazy eights and those types of sprints from that come out of like Google, some other places, or and it basically takes in ideas like zero to one by Peter Thiel, um, base camps, shape up kind of format or framework for delivering. But the the simplest thing idea is you walk in the room without any upfront planning, right? You just have the context of what the user is and who our customer is. And you start there instead of having upfront design and requirements. So you just start with the context of what of who the customer is and what the user is. And then the goal is within a short time box, in our case, two weeks, you are we need to build a prod ready feature by the end of two weeks. So um, it's a massive challenge. But the power of it is that you only spend two weeks to build something interesting that you can deliver to the customer within a super short amount of time. And we just recently did that with, with, one, with one of the playback teams. And we and everyone was like, I don't know, Lucky, I don't think this is possible. But we did. We built a prod-ready feature in only two weeks. The power of that being connected to the customer is that the engineers, because there was no upfront planning and preconception, it gave the engineers and the product owner the freedom to make a lot of decisions. Mm. So sometimes when you do lots of upfront requirements and things like that, like we often talk about in Pragmatic, what you're doing is you ring fence the team. The team is just going to deliver against that. Even if you tell them that they have freedom and autonomy, they're right. just going to deliver against the design, right? Whereas when you don't do the upfront stuff, now they can make the decisions. And usually you end up with a, a feature or product that's leaner, that is cleaner and simpler and, and much faster to implement than if you had done all of that stuff up front. So it's a very powerful way of working. Is that, is that something you guys are thinking of, of moving all of your sprints to? Or do you think that those sort of like lean sprints are particularly powerful in certain types of use cases or to, or to solve a, a specific problem? Uh, yeah, in my in my wonderful dream world, I'd love it to be that the zone embraces it across the whole enterprise and it becomes like our standard way of working. But it's a bit difficult to do to, to try and do for a team of for a company of 65 engineering teams and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but in just the playback area, you know, because of the results have been so great, we've said, okay, and let's start doing, let's, the next step is let's do it regularly. So across all the playback teams, we want to try and do this every quarter. And based off of that, maybe increase that and do it even more frequently as we can see more and more results come along. But we've got it done. We did it very well once. We want to try and do it all the time. We even have teams um, like our developer experience team, which they build tools for the developers, so their customer is the developers. They do, they very much follow a very similar thing, which is base camps shape up thing, where they work in a series of six week bets. It's effectively the same kind of system and it works really well. Um, and they get really close feedback from the other engineers on their products and what they build. So it, it's really neat. We wanna expand it, we wanna do more and we hope to. 
<laughs> it's interesting in DAZN, right, where you have so many different project and, and approaches within the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, is that just something that was kind of built in for Go? Is it because, I, I'm guessing from everything you said, it's sort of continuous development, hosted solution, releases constantly. Like, mm -hmm. are there ever tension points, though, when people are working on different time cycles and maybe with different processes? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially like, you know, that's one of the things that makes applying a lean sprint a little bit more difficult because a lot of different teams have dependencies on one another, like any big company with lots of engineering teams, you know, you need one team to build a thing so that the other team can use it. You need someone to finish something before someone else can start. So that happens a lot. And so unfortunately, it would make it hard to do universally because obviously there's certain, there's many initiatives that are very much top down that need to get done um, and that require multiple teams in order to do them. And so scheduling of that. So what we at least try to do is at least we ring fence the constraint to say, to do the lean sprint, it needs to be something that that one team can deliver you know, from brain to screen into end right. by themselves without any dependencies. It's the only way to make sure it can work. Because once no. you start adding multiple teams, it'll it gets all wonky as a well, that's a it's a great way to figure <laughs> out where to start and pilot it too. Like understand it's gotta be something fully in the control. Um yeah. another question is I think about just how diverse the organization is internally, which I think is mm -hmm. fascinating and awesome, is yeah. are the personas the same? Uh, um, I mean obviously not if you're working for yeah. the developer internal tools, but is there yeah. like a consistency of the personas across all the teams? Yeah, I mean, generically in the zone, we have some generic, I hate to use the word generic, but basically some some key profiles of users that we go for that the that the business side targets towards. But then now when we go down into the individual teams, some teams are using personas, some teams are not. Um, the teams I work with, we typically do have personas that we target, but because that's because I'm in those teams. <laughs> but other teams do and other teams don't. And, and various teams use them to a greater degree than others. It just kind of depends. But I guess it's kind of, if you think about it, a bit of a feature of the organization that not everyone is doing everything in the same way mm -hmm. because everyone has very different contexts of the way they work and what they're trying to do. You know. Well, and there's 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 is advantages to that, right? Sometimes there's speed that you get by being able to work in smaller, more nimble organizations. But it is does mean that some of the problems when we're trying to fold in um, mm -hmm. are there as well. And as if I recall, too, you also do some offshore engineering and development, right? Yeah, well, you could argue that all all of the zone is quote unquote offshore um, in a sense because we. You know, we have our headquarters is in London and we have, I want to say, like 50 engineers or several engineering teams there. But the zone has always been an organization where we are engineering all over the place. Mm, so we have yep. engineering teams in Poland. We have engineering teams in Amsterdam. We have engineering teams in Slovakia. So we've always been a sort of international team, as it were, you know. And what's really cool about that is that we don't have a very, how you say, colonial attitude uh, uh, towards engineers that are in different places because right. we yep. all have very vital uh, parts to play and we all have to work together in order to get you know, a product out at scale. Um, we have to, we have to interact with each other, work with each other and negotiate you know, or else we just simply wouldn't be able to deliver at all. <laughs> no, and I think you make a really good point that too, too often, not too often, sometimes, right? We hear from people who've got 
an on an kind of on-premise engineer team and offshore premise, and they 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 do uh, your colonial attitude is probably a good way of putting it, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. these, you know, and I have to do all of this and I have to do all of that. And I think one of the things that overall with COVID, because we've all had to go remote, mm-hmm. those challenges have nothing to do with what country they're located in. Exactly. Right. The, exactly. the, the struggles were that they weren't in the same building with you. And now none of us mm-hmm. or so many of us aren't, or at least weren't for a mm-hmm. long time in the same building. And so mm-hmm. you realize that intentional structure and the intentional use of personas and jobs and doing that mm-hmm. is something everybody needs. And it's no longer mm-hmm. the fault of someone else. Right. I mean, I think it really mm-hmm. helps people shift and that. And I think it can be really powerful um, as you've seen in your group, yeah. right? Where you've got great yeah. engineering teams all over that are all really bringing in, um, important aspects of it. Yeah. And in fact, what we even try to do is where we can or where it might sometimes make sense is we'll form a team around a specific need or goal to achieve, you know, where normally it would take three or four teams kind of doing their little bits here and there. You know, sometimes what we try to do is let's form a team of people who have a variety of the skills we need in order to achieve something. So that means the team might be composed of people from, you know, Poland and London or wherever else, if it makes sense, in order to achieve it. And uh, and it's been working pretty well. Even in the distant past, we before the whole work from world, uh, work from home era, you know, we've had we've had engineers come and live in that location for a time so that they could be in person with that team. And that helped even further because then now they sit in the same room together. They go out for beers together and all of those things makes a huge difference in how people will interact and talk with each other. You know, if they, if they know that they're that they have camaraderie with someone, then the work becomes easier um, yep. all, all of a sudden, you know. Yeah. All right. We talked about lots of different things about yeah. communicating with engineering and really how to, to, to optimize the communication with engineering and optimize sort of the contextualizing of, of problems that we're solving and who we're solving it for. You've yeah. given us all a really good reading list. Um, I'm probably not the only one. I was taking notes on uh, some of the books you mentioned that I hadn't read. But if you were going to have our listeners do two things differently tomorrow yeah. based on what you and I talked about today, where would you have them focus? So two things. Number one, if you're a product manager, be embed yourself into the engineering team. So I usually say that, you know, I, I say the rule of threes are the product manager's time. Um, number one is with you spend one third of your time with the market. Then the second third of your time you spend with your engineering team. And then the third time is everything else. So the people that are so you're spending most of your time with the people who are using your product and the people that are building your product. And then everybody else is secondary because if these two people are taken care of, then you're great. So that, so you need to be embedded with your team. You know, you are a part of the team, a member of the team, a co-equal group. I can't express enough how just doing that will solve about, let's say 50% of the of the challenges. <laughs> yeah. And then the second thing I would say is um, like I always say, just go out of the market, get out there with your customers, you know, sit down there, sit down and really observe them in their natural habitat. And the only way how you're going to do it is if you make the time to do it, do it at least a few times a month and take everything you learn and bring it back to the engineering team, you know, or better yet, bring the engineering team to the customer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think bringing it back is how you secure the time next time, right? It's always hard to find the Mm -hmm. time and explain it. But when you bring it back, when everyone sees the value in that context, it's, uh, it's, 
it's a, it's a powerful way to get more time. It's huge. So many companies spend millions on various marketing companies and consultancies trying to understand their market and the customers. When sometimes you just need to just send your product managers out there and you know, them hopping on a flight for a hundred bucks is a thousand times cheaper than paying a consultancy firm a million bucks to give you a bunch of charts and graphs and data that you already know, you know? So that's my little, that's my little plug there to say, yeah, get, send them out there, go do it. Trust me, it saves money in the long run. <laughs> nice. All right, Jonathan, as always, it was absolutely delightful to have you on today. As always, glad to be here. Thank you so much, Rebecca. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>